Phil After has been in the pro wrestling business for over 50 years. Hey, talking here with uh, Arn Anderson. Arn, first of all, your height and weight. 6'1", 255. And now subscribers to VOC Nation Premium get exclusive access to Bill After's archived audio footage. And uh, where's your hometown? Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, and uh, give us something about your back. First of all, your relationship to Ole Anderson. Ole is my Subscription to VOC Nation Premium starts at just $3 a month and includes commercial-free audio and video versions of our top podcasts. Okay, we're speaking here with uh, the manager of the World Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, Tarzan Tyler and Luke Graham, and he's, uh, he's sort of glowing tonight about a new prospect we haven't heard of yet. And for just $9 a month, Aptor's archives are all yours. Uh, would you tell us who this new prospect is? Well, I'll is? tell you, Bill, I've searched the world, and I finally <laughs> found the true world champion. I finally found... What's your opinion of uh, Ivan Koloff winning the title from Bruno San Martino? Well, I think... Uh, I don't know what to say, but I, well, I want to say one thing. Uh, Bruno was an LA champion. You know? Hear exclusive interviews with the greatest performers of all time. This is Bill Apter, and once again, we're speaking here with... Bruno San Martino. Bruno, first of all, how did you and Bruiser lose that title to the Valiants? Well, actually, it, it was a, a, a very unusual loss, if you want to call it a did loss. Did didn't have anything to do Well, yes, but the whole thing is that the rules, as I always understood them, was that you, the title could only be lost by pin or, or submission, which is the same rules as uh, my title, the World War Wrestling Federation. That night, uh, it was... To sign up, it's very simple. Head to premium.vocnation.com or go to patreon.com slash vocnation. VOC Nation takes you behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. No BS with the bull, Manny Fernandez, worldwide in the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. And Manny, I'm feeling a little bit better this week. Last week was just, uh, just a terrible week. My kids were sick. Thankfully, all the COVID tests were negative uh, and we're back to normal. The, the sniffling's dried up and my I had the worst headache of my life. I, I felt like I've only felt that that bad one other time. So I, I was sure it was COVID, but it wasn't. So all's well that ends well. Yeah, that's good. That's good. You know, you don't want to be here. Thank God you're over there. If you were here in Texas, where I'm at, on this wind and storms and rain and cold weather, you'd probably uh, feel worse again. But yeah, I mean, that's pretty good. You got rid of that headache. The only time I had a headache like that is when we got hit by that 18 wheeler and put me really uh, messed me up for months. Yeah, that 18 wheeler, you know, <laughs> took a surprise. A lot of people surprised that I lived through that accident. But you know, I guess I'm hard at it. That was the worst accident, a headache I ever had. <laughs> well, thank God that you're alive. And yeah. um, spring has sprung. Optimism is high. The vaccination rates are high. Cases are coming yeah. down in, in areas of the country. So let's pray for normalcy and uh, bright, sunny skies ahead. Yeah, prayers for all the people that get vaccinated and hopefully all the other ones that uh, – We'll get encouraged to get themselves vaccinated so the world can get back to its usual. This whole country could go back to being a, a great nation again, you know? Did you get your jab Not yet? Excuse me? Did you get your shot yet? I got my first one. I get my second one uh, April 22nd. I'm doing the one and done Johnson & Johnson on Wednesday. I, I can't wait. Well, I got mine done at the VA and they gave us the Moderna. And it was, uh, that was a lot of fun because there were so many vets there. Everybody got to mingle and talk. And, nice. you know, it's a, lot of, you know so it's a love, different relationship when veterans get together that been somewhere where they had to struggle to survive and stuff. And, and the camaraderie and, and just being together with somebody that you know shared that with you is so important to me. You know, that everybody, all of us are doing good and hopefully nobody's on, homeless on the street and you know, suffering, you know, from drug use or whatever, just watching over each other is a big, big thing for me. Yeah, that that's awesome. And, uh, and again, I said it many times, we thank you for your service. 
And I know that the people out there are grateful too. And they're grateful for the memories that you gave us in the professional wrestling ring. I know somebody else that's grateful for the memories and the experience we saw if you were watching the WWE Hall of Fame this week, and it was a nice moment for me, you know, it's like a proud moment for uh, for somebody in the family. I was watching the Hall of Fame. I saw the Rob Van Dam speech and out of nowhere, Rob Van Dam thanks the one and only Raging Bull Manny Fernandez. So that's kind of cool. You had some good moments with Mr. Van Dam over the years, Manny. Oh yeah. When he was young, he came in and he worked for a guy named Greg Price in uh, and we had a, oh, a couple matches to two out Georgia and stuff. And the kid was so respectful and listened. And, and I guess he was, like you said, he was taught right. He was taught right. He was taught respect. And that's, you know, and going into that when I was younger and training people, mentoring people, everybody knew my, I was hot headed. I had a quick temper. And if you did something out of the norm in the wrestling ring, I shut you down and did something or, you know, you got, you got put in your place right away. You got a potato, you know, you got a receipt for You gave me a potato. I gave you a receipt and you got a good receipt for it. That's what they were called back in the day. The guy put, Ooh, you nailed him with a potato. Well, here comes a receipt and it's not going to be nice, you know, stuff like that. So yeah, we had the first time we had a great match. First time in a little town in Georgia, Hartwell, Georgia, I think it was. And we were in there and Rob knows his karate and he, so limber and he could stretch and do the splits and spinning kicks like the guy from uh, Bloodsport and all that guy, like Rob, the original Rob Van Dam, you know, the movie star or whatever. Yeah, Jean-Claude Rob Van Damme, yep. Yeah. yeah, he could do the same, you know, Van Damme, Rob could do the same thing to him. So I took, you know, I let him do that. I let him be himself, you know, like you said, people let him be himself, I let him be himself and we caught, called some of that stuff and he came out, I came off the rope maybe too hard or too fast or he was too close and I called for a spinning kick to the face and I caught his heel right in my mouth and bust mm. lips and it busted my mouth open. I was bleeding. I turned around F as loud as I could say the F word, you know, and uh, <laughs> I turned around with both fence clips and I looked and the ring was empty. I didn't see anybody. I, where the hell did Rob go? You know, I was like, where the hell did this kid go? Well, come to find out, referee goes, he took off to the restroom because he was afraid you were supposed to that. Oh, boy. Was that was that early in his career? When was that? Yeah, yeah it was real early in his career. I was probably uh, maybe the first five matches within his first five, six matches. You know, wow. it, it was really Really early. He still had the baby face and everything. <laughs> I had to go talk to him. I said, oh, man, you, you know, nobody's fault. Things like that happen, you know. But expect a receipt, you know. But, you know, it's just, it, yeah, back then when I was young and <laughs> stupid, I had a very bad temper and I was quick to react, you know. So everybody that I trained knew that. Everybody that I mentioned knew that. So they knew that well, when I reacted, it was gonna wasn't gonna be in a good way. So they got out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Did you did you know that Rob Van Dam was going to mention your name on the the Hall of Fame ceremony? I didn't know. I don't watch that. I just knew that my phone blew up after he did that. All the people that I have trained or mentored, or everything were texting me and sending messages like, "Hey, you know, uh, some people send the." And congratulations, you know, Rob Van Dam mentioned you in his speech. Congratulations to my coach, my mentor and trainer, you know, people like that, people that I trained are really good, but never got a chance to sign because for one reason or another. But, uh, you know, it's just blowed up. And then people were sending it on Facebook. And I appreciate that. You know, no, I never knew that. I know that we've been close throughout the years when I see him, you know. When I met, when we go to these conventions that I'm like I'm going to next week, if Rob's there, he's always going to come over and hug me and thank me and stuff, you know, like they all do. I mean, that's what that's what we talk about. Yeah. It's not training people to be wrestlers; it's training somebody to have respect for you and the way you do things and the way you teach things. You know, some of these guys just pay their money to some idiot and then go off and they don't care about that idiot because basically they didn't do nothing for him but right. take the money. Here, right. you know, you earned the respect because that's what you gave them. You respected them enough to train them and teach them what you were taught by the old timers. 
passing that knowledge on. It's not my knowledge. The knowledge that was passed on to me for the people before me and the people before them. And then you pass that knowledge on to people and you pray that they respect that. And I can honestly say all the people that I mentored or taught and went on to make their name for themselves, all respect that. They have that kind of respect. And I'm proud of that. That's more than money could buy. That's priceless. To me, in my book, that's priceless. Yeah, I was looking on, speaking of respect and, and admiration, I was looking on Twitter. I usually post the show and, and VOC Nation post the show. Follow us on Twitter, by the way, at VOC Nation. You can get all of all of the shows that happen on the VOC Nation network feed, not just this, and we'll run them down later. But anyway, I saw our show that included some praise to our truth Ron Killings, and you were talking about training him and working with him over the years. And I saw a, uh, a tweet from our truth about the show here. So we, we thank him for listening. And I know that's somebody that you train that means a lot to you. Yeah. Yeah. Our truth. Yes. Him is our truth. And I have a real close bond because of everything, you know, he stuck around longer than anybody I know. And he was that good. And he would go up and down the road with me. I'd take him New York, New Jersey, get him on shows, independent shows, and then I'd work him. I, I did the same thing with our truth as I did, because our truth was flexible too. He could do the splits and all that, jump high in the air. So I took and, and used that when he worked against me. I let him do all that. I never tried to curtail anybody's style to mine. I let them be themselves. It's like the reason I couldn't stand Rick Flair when I wrestled him for the world title is because he only had one one match. That's all he ever did. The same thing over and over and over. And that stuff was boring <laughs> to me. It was so daggone boring. I couldn't stand it. When they told me I had never wrestled for the world title again, I thanked them. I didn't care. It wasn't no big deal to me. It didn't mean nothing. I was still making uh, a good daggone living and putting food on the table for my family, my you know my wife and kids and all them. But you know I could care less for the world title. Who cares? I knew what wrestling was. Who cares? If it came to a shoot, I, he definitely wouldn't be the world champion if it was me and him. You know? But it's it just, I never would take away somebody's style. They have to be themselves. Right. That was our truth. It was Rob Van Dam. That's, <laughs> and I'm glad. I mean, I, I'm proud that he listened to the show. I'm pretty sure he got a kick out of it. Yeah, yeah. And and just uh, real quick on our truth it's hard to believe that he's almost 50 years old. I mean, you don't look at him. He looks in great shape and he still moves around very well, but he's 50 years old, still active and uh, pretty much a regular on WWE TV. Yeah, you know it's funny. I was at 50 years old, I was still doing the same thing, still doing the same style. In fact, today if I get if I didn't have this bad hip, I'd still be doing the same style. I could yeah. still do all that. You know, 40. it doesn't go away because you get age, and you just get smarter with age. You, you limit it most of the stuff you used to do, but you still stay the same. At four, at forty-one, I could barely mow the lawn. <laughs> getting back to uh, Manny, getting back to Ric Flair, and and I know this is off topic, and we're going to talk. Uh, we're going to talk some more about your upbringing and the territories that you came through and the different personality of each territory. We'll do that in a second. But I just want to get back to Ric Flair because I know that people will get on me if I don't stay on that. You didn't like working against Ric Flair because Rick, uh, you know, a lot of people consider him one of the greatest, if not the greatest performers of all time. But I guess I can see what you're saying. He worked the same style, well, same match, front bump, you know, flip into the corner, uh, similar yeah, stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, the thing about that, it, it just bored me. You know, I wrestled, I wrestled everybody that ever was a world champion, that ever wore that world title. And they all had different styles, from Dory to Terry to Harley you know, it's just everybody, Jack Briscoe, you know, all them guys, they had a different style and you could wrestle into their style without shutting you down. And Ric Flair took that away from me when I had the first match with him. It was like, I couldn't do the things I did against all these other world champions because he wanted to do the flip in the corner. I'm like, dude, you do this every time. It's getting kind of stupid. We got to stand there and wait for you. Yeah, that's pretty dumb. I don't, I didn't like to be exposed that I was this total 
you like these idiots that do that, throw the guy out on the floor and the guy's out there and they take forever to climb up on the top rope and the guy stands there and acts all stupid and then turns around. Yeah. And, it, you know, you look like an idiot. Yep. And that wasn't me. I didn't like, that's why I got a lot of heat in the business. Yeah. Most of my stuff was almost like a shoot. You know, I had Barry, uh, what was his Playboy Buddy Rose. He come up to me, I had a match with him and he come up to me and said, brother, I've watched you. Man, you kill people out there. I said, dude, it's a word. Which is how I do it. Well, he was so scared that I was going to hurt him in the ring. He kept asking me, telling me he had high blood pressure, diabetes, and all that. I'm going like, damn, dude, it's work, you know? And, but the, my style was so believable, a lot of people thought I was hurting people. But yeah. that's the way I was taught. That's the way I was taught, and that's the way I wanted to wrestle. You know, I wanted to wrestle solid. I was a solid wrestler. And, you know, Rick Flair and all that. I mean, a lot of people I think it's great. It's like, you know, somebody made a joke when they try to compare Rick Flair to Tom Brady. Come on, get real, dude. <laughs> you think Rick Flair could do what Tom Brady could do? You're stupid. Tom Brady plays for real. He gets hit for real. <laughs> you know, that stuff's real. I played the game most of my life. So I know, yeah. it's, you know, so there's no comparison there, you know. <laughs> Flair, <laughs> Flair, I, I remember you. You remember Joel Goodhart? He was uh, TWA. Yeah. Yep, Joel. Yeah, we're in the Joel Good. I worked from precursor to ECW, right? A lot of people don't know this, but yeah. if it wasn't for Joel Goodhart, ECW might not exist because a lot of the yeah, TWA yeah. guys went over and formed Eastern Championship Wrestling. Yep, not at but, all. Joel Goodhart was a real good promoter. I worked for him many a times. Yeah, I, good things in really there. Yeah, he and for for a couple years, but here, my when I was a kid, I listened, and and a lot of the reasons I ended up getting into radio were was because of Joel Goodhart. I used to listen to he had a show on in Philadelphia called Wrestling Radio on uh, at that time it was Sports Radio six ten WIP, and every week he would he would kind of uh, break the third wall for pro wrestling. And as a kid, you know, I. I watched on tv and i didn't know what was real what wasn't real i knew it didn't seem right but joel's uh position at that point was that wwf had come out and said that this stuff is predetermined but nobody else did so everything else is real and and that's that was generally the idea i took manny but what what always got me was when i would watch a rick flair match i would think as a kid there's no way that anybody would flop and fall on their face. You know, the, the whole staggered cartoon front bump that he did. And that was yeah. the thing that said to me, well, this, this doesn't look real to me. And I, I feel like the NWA style in the eighties was, was more of a, a sport style, you know, you could believe it, but there were some of the things and, and flair was a great performer, but some of the things he did just took that realism away. And I think that's what you're kind of saying too. Yeah, exactly. He hit the nail right on the head. Yeah. I couldn't do that. I just, I couldn't do a lot of things. It's like, I love Jimmy Valiant to death and, you know, and everything. But once I was in the doghouse and Dusty decided to team with him, I just couldn't play that character. I couldn't be that character. If you watch matches, I tag match, you'll see that I stand away. I'm standoffish. I'll get away from him, let him do his thing, do that honky donkey stuff and all that crap. And then when, when we did the turn, I had to wrestle Jimmy Valiant and I sat him down. And I said, look, dude, I don't do stupid things. I don't do the poke me in the butt, the dead, the dead possum thing. I don't do none of that stuff. Okay. I won't do that. So don't, don't, don't try it with me. I will not, react to it. Do not do that with me. So, you know, that's why that angle didn't go that far because I wasn't going to do his, those stupid things. I just couldn't do it. It wasn't in me to do it. Yeah. I just, you know, that was not my style. Sure. <laughs> and I just, you know, I'd rather well, get beat up. Yeah, you have to work with people that, that can complement your style. Those are the best matches. Uh, it doesn't have to be two of the guys that do the same exact thing, but it has to be complementary, and you have to be able to uh, absorb each other's styles, right? Right, correct, correct. That's why I used to love to work with Ivan Kolak. <laughs> he was so aggressive. He turned around and kicked you 20 times in the face. <laughs> He'd stay right on top of you, man. You could sell your butt off because he stayed right on you. He stayed right on you. You had to fight. 
You really had to fight. Ivan was Ivan was no joke. I loved Ivan, you know. But there's guys that style like that, you know. But I just I couldn't. I guess I couldn't work the goofy style, the, the Tennessee style, Tennessee mm-hmm. high spot style. You know, that wasn't me. I couldn't work the Tennessee style. The as Memphis, they called it Memphis. Yeah, style. Memphis. Uh, on, on a future. On a future show, I gotta I gotta get some road stories out of you for Ric Flair. I've I've heard some great ones before. I love hearing Honky Tonk Man talking about Flair. We won't do it today, but I'll get you on a future show. We're gonna talk about territories today. We're gonna kind of take a little journey through some of your career. I actually I'm gonna start when we come back from the break with the TWA because I I'm fascinated by that promotion. We'll get into that. We'll probably continue that for the next couple of weeks here on No BS with the Bull Manny Fernandez. Make sure you go on to the VOC Nation shop. Go to shirts.vocnation.com or look for VOC Nation, voice of choice, VOC Nation on the Pro Wrestling Tees store. It's all one word. And get the Manny Fernandez, No BS with the Bull t-shirt. It's um, it's there. So especially when there's a sale that comes up, make sure you go on Get Manny Shirt. Support him and support the show. We'll be right back on the other side of the break. This is No BS with the Bull, Manny Fernandez, right here on the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. VOC Nation takes wrestling fans behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Get stories and inside information from people who worked on the other side of the curtain. Follow the VOC Nation Wrestling Network podcast feed and get weekly shows from hosts like Bill After, The Raging Bull, Manny Fernandez, Ken Resnick, The Maestro, Shelly Martinez, Wes Briscoe, and more. Visit VOCNation.com for more information and follow us on Twitter at VOCNation. No BS with the Bull Manny Fernandez. Welcome back. And remember, you can listen to this show commercial-free if you want by subscribing to premium.vocnation.com or go to Patreon slash VOCNation, and you get all of our shows commercial-free, most of them audio and video. This show is audio only. And again, remember, I said support Manny by buying a shirt at the Pro Wrestling T-Store. You can't search Manny Fernandez, but just search VOC nation and you get all of our shirts but manny's is on there as well uh manny before we i want to take a journey through your career in the next couple of weeks and we'll go through the different territories and some of the stories of each one as we take that journey but before i start and i want to start with goodhart because we we were talking about joel and that that might take us to the end of the show i don't know but before we get into that traveling were you a were you a road guy? Did you did you go up and down the road with with a lot of guys? Were you a a big traveler? Yeah, when we used to have the territory days, you know, when I started back in the day, it was fun to go. To, you know, three four people in a car, everybody shares gas and stuff. You know, when territories were uh, around, yeah, it was fun to travel with the guys because you had so many stories. You created stories. That's how you created your stories. You know, guys pulling over on the side of the road to use the, to go pee and uh, piss or whatever. And the other guys jumping in the car and taking off, leaving them behind those kind of stories or come on. And two guys would be standing there talking to the guy in the middle peeing and both of the other guys on the left or right are peeing down his leg. You know, those kind of stories, fun ribbing each other like that. Yeah. And just, you create stories that, that last a lifetime things that you do, you know, crazy things you do up and down the road driving by each other, handing beers in and out the window as the cars go by, <laughs> you know, silly things that only wrestlers probably did, you know, but uh, yeah, I enjoyed the heck out of that in, yeah. in the smaller territories. Ken Resnick on Wrestling With History. Ken, uh, as you, you might know, was a broadcaster in the AWA and the WWF for, uh, for right. a lot of the 80s, and then he did some other stuff in the 90s. But Ken was saying that, we were talking about the hall of fame and some of the ribs that the British bulldogs did. And Ken was saying that ribs, because the guys were traveling sometimes 26, 27 days in the month, you're in a different town, you know, airport, hotel, arena, hotel, airport, and the ribs were a way to keep people sane because there was just so much going on and you weren't, there's no consistency. You couldn't really see your family. It was just, a way to break the monotony. 
Yeah, exactly. You broke the monotony by playing ribs on each other. Lock your super glue in somebody's doorknob so when they touch it, you know. <laughs> you know, all that stuff can't keep you from going crazy because it's true. You traveled on the road. You got off one airplane, got in a taxi cab or had somebody pick you up and take you to the arena. You spent hours in the arena, either warm, warming up, working out, getting ready for the show. Then after the show, you go out to beers, have clubs, have some beers and have some fun with everybody around. And then you go to your hotel, get a few hours sleep, jump back on the airplane. And it was this way. It was this way seven days a week. And with WCW, especially on Sunday when it was, you know, the Sunday to, uh, Sunday afternoon show and then an evening show. So you actually did eight days a week. Wow. You know, non And you were hardly ever home unless we did uh, in WCW. You were home if uh, we ran Charlotte, Independence Coliseum in Charlotte. Then you were home. Or Greensboro, you were close to being home. But outside of that, you were on the road, especially when you got WCW guys. We were all over the country. California, all the way coast to coast, east. East Coast, West Coast, in between the Midwest, everything. So you sh- the only way you stayed sane was to play ribs on each other. So in a territory, I mean, was there a consistent loop? Like when you traveled in a territory, would would you go? You, you mentioned eight eight towns uh, over seven days. Was it a consistent thing where? every Monday you were in the same place and every Tuesday you were in the same place. Is that how it worked? Yes. There were certain towns that you ran on certain days, Monday, Fayetteville, Tuesday would be a spot show or something. And uh, you'd be able to go Greensboro was a big show on a different day. And it was so much travel and so many things that would go on before that because all the towns later on became longer distance. Like we had, we do a California loop, right? And then we do an uh, Ohio loop, and then we had the Georgia loop, and then we had a Carolina loop, and New Jersey, New York loop. So we did a lot of loops, and then two, and <laughs> drove you nuts because sometimes you got, why are we flying this far away to do a show when we could do all these and draw people? In our area, in the Mid-Atlantic area. But no, we had to be. That started, to me, that started the downfall of the territories. You know, going into other people's territories and taking it over. Yep. Is that your dog in the background that I hear? Did I lose you, Manny? Uh, Did I lose you? I I know you got some... Some weather. I didn't know if that was your dog or, or if that was, uh, yeah. huh? No, it's just weather storming it off. You get <laughs> big storms that wind sometimes will knock my Wi-Fi off. Yuck, yuck. Well, we'll try to get through it. We'll try to power through before uh, before you lose your your power there. Listen, before we go, we'll go to Amarillo where you started. That's that's where Terry Funk and. Dick Murdoch broke you into the business, but I want to spend some time because we talked about Joe Goodhart and I I said earlier, that was part of my early fandom and why I got into sports radio back in the day and ultimately why I'm doing this now. Joe Goodhart ran the TWA in the late eighties into maybe 90 or 91 What's your memories of working with Joel Goodhart in the TWA? Joel Goodhart was a great person, very good person, very knowledgeable about the business and a very, very wise promoter. He was smart. He knew that when WCW was running uh, Philadelphia and that area of Jersey and Philly and all the towns around there, uh, that we drew good, uh, you know, a lot of fans, everywhere time we'd wrestle in the old Civic Center there in Philly, it was sold out every single time. So he took that after, you know, we stopped going there, Crockett stopped going there, Joel took that into account and thought he could do good, and he did. He did good. I did many shows for him, for his TWA shows. And uh, all I can say about Joel is he was one of the better promoters I ever, independent promoters I ever worked for, because he did good. Every one of his shows did really, really good, and he had good talent. He had a bunch of guys that could work. So that was, a, that was the main thing. 
We had a bunch of guys that came out of there and went to ECW. They could all work their pants off. They were great guys. Yeah, I think if you think about the people that came out of that, and, and he also owned Ringmasters Wrestling School in Philadelphia, but you think about the, the guys that came out of there, I think the Sandman, you had the Blue Meanie was part of Goodhart, uh, Bay Ragney, who was Chubby Dudley. Uh, there's just a bunch. Stevie Richards, I think, was part of the, the TWA. There were some other other independent legends like dc drake worked in the twa who did you what was your most memorable match working for joel goodhart geez you two you're going to wait <laughs> and you know it's obviously probably more memorable for me than it is for you that's just one dot on your uh i got brain warp when it comes up you had so many good guys there i mean i, I couldn't honestly i can't remember but i know that Every time I worked, went there to work for Joel, he had great guys. So I always had good matches with those guys. I mean, they were there and they were good and exciting matches. But, geez, I couldn't tell you. It wasn't none of those guys you mentioned. I know that, you know. Uh, but, yeah. uh, honestly, I can't remember. I could just tell you this. I know there were great guys and I had great matches with them. All right, let's go. Let's go back to uh, to Amarillo. Now that I got my my TWA uh, itch, I scratched it. Let's go back to Amarillo, and that's that's where you started. You break in with uh, with Dory Funk, Terry Funk. They break into the business. They train you. Uh, talk about your start in Amarillo and your first couple of matches. How did that How did that happen? How did that come together? Well, it all came together because you know. Murdoch and Mulligan got, got to get, well, the first match I ever had, ever had, okay, when I was through training, Mulligan and Murdoch, and because Terry and Dory were mainly in Japan a lot, so it was mainly Mulligan, Murdoch, Dennis Stamp, and uh, whoever, Nick Kozak, those guys I told you about. When yep. Nick and Dennis, I guess Dennis told uh, Dickie, he says, I think the kid's ready to have his first match. So I was told, hey, you're going to have a TV match, see how you do on TV. <laughs> so I was getting a little excited, a little nervous. I had a TV match, TV taping, and <laughs> my opponent was Blackjack Mulligan. Oh. I was like, oh, dang. Oh, my God. <laughs> What's going to happen here? So we go out there, and my first match ever, ever on any anything, but it was a TV taping match, and Mulligan ties up with me, backs me up into the middle of the rope, raises that big, huge armor in, and puts my face back, he says, welcome to the business, kid. Wham! <laughs> he hit me so damn hard, I couldn't breathe for 10 minutes. Oh, that man, man had the biggest arms, man, I've ever seen out of human being. <laughs> and his brother, he took the wind out of me, and I swear to you, I couldn't breathe. So I got welcomed into the business pretty solidly. Like, I like to be welcomed, you know? I love to work that kind of solid. <laughs> where your chest and your back, you really knock the heck out of somebody, right? And well, he knocked the heck out of me. He knocked the heck out of me. So that, that went over good, you know? That went over good. And then after that, I had another one against James, J.J. Uh, Dillon. And I went out there wrestling. And J.J. was a little worried because of my shooting background. But I went out there and did what I was told to do. And did, that's how they tested me. They put me on TV to do these matches. You know, where I was getting beat and everything like that. They wanted to see if I had that uh, attitude, that shooter attitude that says, you know, I'm not going to let you do this. But, you know, I know what wrestling is. So I went out there and, I, you know, by then I, I realized, hey, this is something that uh, you can make money at and, you know, do the best you can. So I went out there and, you know, did it for Mulligan, did it for JJ. And they liked what I did and they put me on the road and I went off the road and then. Started traveling with Tito Santana, which we know with Merced Solis and Ted DiBiase and Stan Lane. And we had fun in those days because it was for a car and, and we only made $25 a night back in the 70s. That was a lot of money with four people in the car. That's 100 bucks. Yeah. You get a case of beans and, and 20 hot dogs or hamburgers and hit the road drinking and eating. Tell us okay. stories. Manny, did so your first match with Mulligan, this is what, 77, 78? 70, the end of 78, yes. 78. Going into 79. 
And so you worked that circuit in Amarillo. Who was the booker? The booker was Mulligan and Murdoch. They owned the territory. So Mulligan. Yeah. And were you just a job guy or were they? So when you're starting and you're in these matches against, you know, big, big stars, are you, are you working uh, job matches or were you positioned as an up and comer? No, I was an up-and-comer, but they wanted to see what kind of, they tested my attitude. But they, see, everybody knew that I'm getting fights all the time. Sure. And I all through Amarillo, Canyon, Texas, Amarillo, where I played football. I had a reputation going to bars and getting fights. I mean, everywhere I went, people, hey, hi, Manny, I, hey, can you try not to get a fight tonight? You know, that kind of attitude. Because people got on my nerves, honestly. I, was, I quarantined myself 40, 50 years ago. Because people could get on my nerves. They'd get on my nerves and I'd punch them out. So, you know, they knew that. And they wanted to see if I was going to do what I was told to do, if I had to be do it, and then do it properly instead of trying to be bullish and say, heck, no, I'm not, I'll shoot on you and tie you up and, and beat you that way. No, you know, I just did that. And they saw that I had to pop around. That's why, you know, I didn't last long in Amarillo. They sent me to Florida, but. Uh, they uh, they brought me up and they groomed me, but they wanted to make sure my head was in the right place. That I understood. And Amarillo was part of the NWA, right? I mean, I'm I'm uh, oh, yeah. somewhat, and and yeah. all of these NWA territories, they're separate, but they work together, right? I mean, they're all working together. There's one major champion, right? Which is in those days the Harley Race, Ric Flair. Terry Funk, you know, some, some combination of those guys. And I didn't know when you bring up Ric Flair, he wasn't even in my picture. I didn't even know about Ric Flair. Never heard of the guy until I got to uh, mid Atlantic. Never heard a word about Ric Flair ever, ever knew who this guy was, what he was. Nothing. I knew about Harley race, Dory Funk, Terry Funk, those world champions, Jack Briscoe. Those are the world champions I knew and grew up with. I never knew about this, this clown now. Oh, uh, Ric Flair. I just never knew about that clown. Sorry. I mean, everybody wants to praise the guy. To me, he's a clown. He's a clown, period. You know, I didn't, I don't care what anybody thinks. They would think I'm a clown. I'm straight up. To me, he's a damn clown. Biggest brown nosed clown in the world. Never seen a guy kiss ass so bad in my life. Is that ever? So it you wasn't know, but, just the working star. It was, it was his uh, backstage uh, politics and. Um, well, I'll never forget the moment one time uh, Wahoo and me were there, there at the Crockett at the Crockett office getting ready to do promos because we always did promos and we were Crockett there on Woodlawn in Charlotte and come by and, you know, and all of a sudden we're making big money and all this and we're buying private planes and Wahoo didn't like that. And one time old uh, Flair and uh, Crockett came out of his office and they were walking down to the, where we cut the promos and Wahoo told Crockett, don't turn the corner too hard. You might break his nose off. Hockey <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Tunk Man has told stories about Ric Flair going out. And I'm not hating on Flair. Um, this is uh, these are your stories, not mine. But I'm just I'm just recounting a story that Honky Tonk Man told me where he said Ric Flair would go out with a bunch of guys run up the bar tab and then leave and uh, the the tab was unpaid and and it was left for everybody else to deal with. Yeah. He's done that to a couple of promoters too. He did that to a promoter that was uh, in Virginia beach that I was on the same show as him. In fact, I was still, this is about 15 years ago when I found (laughs) out I was on the show, I said, I'll go slap the living hell out of that piece of garbage. And that's when I was still hot in and I was going to go do it, but everybody cut me off. No, man, he don't, (laughs) you know, he was on a show in Virginia beach. He ran up the bar tab because he wanted more money from the promoter because the show did good. And the promoter said, no, we agreed on one thing. And I said, man, typical, typical. So he ran up the bar tab at the bar for like two grand buying all these, uh, Dom Perignon and shit like you know he was a big shot, and he took off and the promoter ended up with two grand, two grand bar bill, bar tab, you know, so that ain't funny. 
That kind no. of stuff ain't no rib. Yeah. You know, yeah, you know, when when you super glue somebody's boots to the ground, that's a rib. When you padlock your bag to the daggone locker, that's a good rib. You know, stuff like when you take a, a turd in somebody else's bag, yeah, that's a good rib to live by. But when you make them spend money and cost them money, that's not a rib. Yeah, well, two thousand dollars is two thousand dollars. Doesn't matter when uh, in time that is. That's a lot of money. Yeah, it's a lot of money. You know, and yeah, those kind of things. You know, I didn't show for those kind of things. I mean, when you talk about world champions, I I was around four of the greatest world champions ever, ever. And of course, Ivan Kolob, WWF sure. world champion, uh, superstar Billy Graham, WWF world champion. I had all those guys, and they were fantastic. <laughs> you know, the only thing I could say about Billy Graham, he was too soft. <laughs> I could put a kill him. I used to yell at him, please, sir, hit me harder. <laughs> Billy, I mean, those Billy. guys were good. You know, those guys were fantastic. I, I enjoyed that kind of that. I mean, honest to God, I was blessed. I was blessed by the talent they put in front of me when I went to every territory and worked on top. You got brought in to do that, to make that territory. You got brought in to pop a territory. You know, some guys that could be over in one territory, they bring in because he's always so strong there. They bring him to the southern territory to see if he could pop it. If the territory was going down, bring the guy in to see if he could pop. Some guys couldn't do that. Sure. There's a lot of guys that couldn't do that. They could be over in one territory and fill in another one. And thank God I never had that experience. I was very fortunate. But I was taught right. I was taught right when I came into the territory how to act, how to respect. I had all that, all that behind me. But, you know, getting away from that, you know, that's why I, to tell you the truth, when I went from all these territories and then I worked with Joe Goodhart and independent promoter, I felt like I was in a little territory. He that. The way he ran the, his shows was like being in the territory, right. and that's what I respected about that. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was. I, I mean, and he had some fanfare back back in in those days. You know, I mean, it's small promotion, but no WWF or NWA at that time for sure. But but Joel Joel did a good job with that TWA. Manny, uh, just to put a bow on this, and then we'll talk about Florida next week because that was uh, substantial for you, and you had a title run there. In uh, in Amarillo, you were only there six months, maybe right, less than a year. Yes, yes, I was. I wasn't there long. I was there to be groomed. I worked the opening matches for uh, 15, 20 minute Broadways. I learned how to put in time in the ring. My psychology. They put me in there with the old timers, Alex Perez and Dennis Stamp. Said these guys that would groom you, take a green kid under the wing and groom them for twenty minutes, or they tried to blow you up so they could teach you. Take your time, kid. Don't be in a rush, kid. Sure. You know, stuff like that. You're going to get blowed up in five minutes, kid. And sometimes it was true. You go so hard for five minutes, you're excited. And you, and you realize you got 15 more to go and you're already dead tired. You're going, oh, my God. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. Yeah. It was it was great. Being in Amarillo and being taught and brought up and groomed properly, I, I owe that to that, all the people there. All them people that took the time to work with me, took the time to see something, like Rob Van Dam said, you know, people saw something in him. And I saw it in him when they're very young, yep. stage of his career. They saw something in him. Of course, you're going to push it. You're not going to take it, take somebody like that and try to squash him or try to, you know, kill him off. No, you take advantage of that talent. And you take it and you groom it and you hope and pray that it works out, that he draws money for everybody and everybody puts money in their pocket. That's what this business is about. Not anymore. Of course, you get paid whether you're good or bad. Right. And a lot of these guys, they signed, they signed the W. Trust me, <laughs> they wouldn't make a dime in the old days. They wouldn't even be the opening bout. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, <laughs> you had know? to draw money. You had to draw money. You had you to build the house. Yeah. It wasn't about yeah, TV. You, you didn't get paid by, by merchandise. You had to draw money. You know, it was, it's all about that. All right, Manny, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll wrap it up. And uh, you got some things coming up. I want to talk about that before we end the show. This is No BS with the Bull, Manny Fernandez, worldwide in the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. 
For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill Apter, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. All right, no BS with the bull, Manny Fernandez. I'm Bruce Wirt, by the way, the, the voice of choice. Uh, and uh, I, I'm honored to host this show for Manny. I'm also, I do uh, Bill Apter and Ken Resnick wrestling with history. And uh, for too many years, I've, I've funded this network. Uh, shame on me. My, my wife hates it. So... <laughs> Uh, I hope that you tune in to all the VOC Nation Wrestling Network programming, not just this show or wrestling with history, but we got in the room with Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and former WCW star, The Maestro. Got Shelly live with Shelly Martinez and her sister, Danielle. Sassy Steffi comes with you with Talking Sass. Wes Briscoe uh, on the Briscoe and Big Ace show. That's on the weekends. Uh, lots of great programming here on VOC Nation. My big break with Jerry Strauss. Uh, tons of good stuff. So check that out. Jerry Strauss uh, last week had Joy Giovanni, former WWE diva, Candace Michelle before that. And this week he's got Sassy Steffi, one of our uh, family members uh, here in the VOC Nation. So go to the VOC Nation Wrestling Network podcast feed. You get all of our shows with one click or go to vocnation.com and you can check around the site and see what you've missed to date if this is the first time that you're listening. Manny, you got something coming up. You got a big, we're, we're getting back to normal. There's conventions yeah, and appearances coming up. Yeah. What do you got? We got a big convention coming or a virtual signing and a meet and greet at Captain's Corner in Albany, New York with Nick. We're going to be up there this weekend, uh, this coming well, next weekend, 17th and 18th, where we're going to auction off some of these the known BS with the bull t-shirts and yeah. talk a little game as we talk here and enjoy the sights. Yeah, it's coming up uh, April 17th and 18th. And you're traveling? And we, you're, you're, you're going to be on the road for this, or is this virtual? Oh, yeah. I'm always – I don't fly anymore. I have okay. a, had too many close calls with flying, so I drive everywhere now. Plus, I get to see the country again. You know, I got sick and tired of flying my, what, 25 years of my life. Everywhere we went, we flew instead of driving. So it's good to see the country as the country gets uh, more populated and growing into other things that are around this country that I miss. Sure. That's awesome. Well, I, I know uh, next time that I'm in Texas, I'm coming by, we're going to hang out. Uh, once yeah, once the it. world gets back to normal. We'll go take you get one of them big bur steer burgers, big <laughs> burgers, steer burgers. I, I got to say one thing, though. It was funny because I listened to uh, Don Morocco's Making Waves podcast. Yeah. And he was talking about how weak this year's WrestleMania is. Oh, my. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I kind of laughed because I, I know Don. I had a program with him before. I enjoyed him. He was a great worker, man. Great worker. But he was just cracking on how bad, bad it was. WrestleMania, but it seems to me that the more they have, the worse they're going to get. <laughs> Honestly, well, you know, it's it's really it's really bad. The last couple of years, I'm not a big fan. Like this year, they're doing two nights, Saturday and Sunday, limited crowd. Um, thankfully, there's a crowd. I can't watch wrestling without a crowd. It's 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 dreadful. Right. Um, but uh, Stro was talking about this on, on In the Room this week. And if you follow VOC Nation on Twitter, there's a, there's a video clip of this. But they, they, they were doing these marathon WrestleManias, five, six-hour shows. And, Manny, you've worked long TV tapings in, in your day. When, when you're at the end yeah. of a six-hour taping, the crowd's sitting on their hands. They even, even good stuff. Nobody wants to cheer. They just want to get home. Well, 
Remember I told you I used to take my kids there to try out with WWE and I'd have to sit through that stuff. And I was sitting in that gone catering room for five, six hours. I'm going, geez, don't these people get tired of this? And they do. You go out there and you look. I went out there to peak. You know, when our truth was in the match, I'd go out there and watch his match. And then you'd look at the crowd. No matter what he did, they were all sitting on their hands because they're tired. They're tired, you know. It's, you can only keep their attention span so long. You know, and, and it's just, I don't know. It's tiring that when we used to do TV taping for WCW in Atlanta, you know, but it was only three hours. Thank God we didn't have to go six hours. But that was tiring too. So you just take it out of people and they just don't know how to react anymore. Yeah, well, I, I just, the last couple of years, last year was different because it was it was all pre-taped and, and no fans. But the year before that, I think it was a five-hour show. The year before that, five or six. And, you know, it's the crowd's hot for the first couple matches. And by the main event, everybody's dead. Everybody's trying to get home. I mean, the one year the, the buses and the trains were shut down in New York. Nobody could get home. What a, what a right. terrible way to run things. But... Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm glad that maybe they learned some lessons and uh, they're breaking it up into two nights, making it shorter. But I, I think you're probably going to get the same fans uh, maybe in those two shows. And by the second night, they're they're probably going to be uh, a little bit dead. But I don't know. It's nice to see people back in wrestling shows. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's good. It's nice to see people back uh, in any sporting event, you know, any sporting event. Especially when football comes around, hopefully everybody be vaccinated by then because it's a big difference when you have a crowd. You know, I, I, you know, it's, it, it'll be good to see all the people back to normal. We all get vaccinated and everybody cares for one another. This whole thing is getting ridiculous now. These uh, anti-vaxxers and anti-maskers—it's just dumb. You know, we should take care of one another. Where that's what this nation was known for. You know. Being American, American, the American way, taking care of one another. Let's get out of, let's get out of this mess and and get get back to normal. Uh, and speaking of Texas, Manny, I just want to say thank you um, to our neighbors down in the down south. We were uh, on the charts in Mexico for the first time, number thirty four on the iTunes charts in Mexico. Uh, so thank oh. you. We'll add that to the list. Orale, locos de Mexico, que no. <laughs> Gracias. Gracias. All right. All right. Um, we're going to talk territories again next week. We'll move into Florida and a uh, great show this week, Manny. Safe, uh, have a safe and healthy and happy weekend. Enjoy your workout uh, with uh, with your students. And uh, that's it for this week for the Raging Bull, Manny Fernandez. I'm Bruce Ward. Send us out, Manny. Thank you. Thank you. Voice of the choice. Choice voice. <laughs> and you take care. God bless you to every one of you. And stay tuned for another great episode. All right. All right. No BS with the bull right here on the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. See you next week, everybody. <laughs>